After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Hey, you got the power play. Get out of here. Hey. 36, right here for the rock. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Hey, hey. We're not doing this. I don't want to babysit all night. A little bit of nastiness today. Huh? Nothing good's coming out of this, big man. Have you seen this before? Yes, it's rule something, point something. He's not putting a stick in you. You keep your stick out of him. Here we go. Let's roll, boys. Let's go. Hey, 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 hey. Let's go. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. When you're ready, big guy. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. Only a couple of weeks left. We're, I think, into single-digit games remaining for everyone. And Josh, this is a funny time of year. Some teams are, are super anxious and intense for this kind of year, and others are let's just get to the playoffs, or in some cases, let's just get the season over. But there's never a shortage of interesting and unique circumstances in the National Hockey League, and in one case, beyond the National Hockey League. Beyond. Sometimes we need to go outside of our comfortable borders here, Todd, and see what else is going on <laughs> out there. But yes, it's a weird time. You've got teams battling for playoff position, battling for Connor Bedard position, and some just <laughs> battling for the sake of battling, apparently. <laughs> Uh, and there were a few battles this week that we want to get into on this edition of the Scouting the Refs podcast. Of course, we remind you once again to make sure you're following us on the social channels. Get Josh at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and on Instagram. Follow me at Todd Lewis Sports on both Twitter and Instagram. Coming up on this week's episode, go to the net. Big hit, big fight. Punches thrown, but no fight. Hey, that's a penalty. And are we going to allow anyone to score? I think that sort of encapsulates everything. Yeah, I think uh, we want scoring to be up, but it's amazing how many goals we take away. Quite a few, actually. Uh, in one game in particular. Yes. Now, there was there was one game that came up quickly after the NHL general managers meetings, and there was a lot of discussion about fighting and the kind of fighting that we see in games, and in particular, after a clean hit is administered from one player to another. Now, a great example of this was in the Minnesota Wild-Washington Capitals game. Matt Dumba, who has been known to level a big body check now and again, hits Evgeny Kuznetsov, who's accepting a pass, he's headed out of his own zone, and Dumba absolutely rocks him. On the broadcast I was watching, the phrase blind side hit was used, which is no longer in the rule book. But regardless, the cavalry comes running after Kuznetsov gets rocked, and correctly, the officials gave TJ Oshie, who was the first to jump on Matt Dumba, 2, 5, and 10. This is the correct call in this case. It was a big hit, it was a hard hit, but it was a legal check. Right, and the the officials ruled it that way. Obviously, no penalty on Dumba, at least for the hit, and nothing coming out afterwards from player safety. So it's apparent that the officials and the league felt that that was a legal hit. And with Oshi coming in, again, we've talked about it in the past, you want to stick up for your teammates. You don't want to let them get bullied or pushed around. And there's a big hit. You want to stand up, maybe try to fight that momentum shift that often comes from a big hit. So I won't blame Oshi, but I'm also happy to see refs Kevin Pollock and Kyle Raymond making the right call here. This was clearly a situation where there would not have been a fight had Oshi not come barreling in there, dropping the gloves and, and throwing down with Dumba. So this is what I think the standard should be. We should see this all the time. Clean hit. Sometimes, even on an illegal hit, I, I don't mind if the officials want to take that stance of, 
you let us penalize the hit. Don't take the law into your own hands. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm starting in that people's court line right there. <laughs> you take them to court. But no, you can't just drop the gloves and, and seek out that vigilante justice. Or if you want to, understand that you're going to get the two, five, and ten. So it, it was the right call here. I know there's lots of pros and cons around legal hits, illegal hits. Do we want to have fighting in the game? But I think these types of fights where I can't expect all the guys on the ice to be able to determine at that instant if it was a legal or an illegal check. So I think you have to have the officials just crack down hard and say, big hit, somebody comes in and drops the gloves, instigator all day. And maybe what we will see, this is not going to happen immediately, but what may happen is you may still have the the post-whistle scrum and the gathering and uh, grabbing and the face wash and stuff, but it doesn't escalate into the fight at that point. You can still say, hey, that's not acceptable, but it doesn't turn into a rumble. Right. And, and if it does, if you have that scrum and there's pushing and shoving and things erupt from there, maybe there's a little more room to say Look, guys came together and now this is a mutual scrap. Now we've got some pushing and shoving. Something else sparked that. But when when Oshi comes in the way he does, that's clearly an instigator. Menacing. He is menacing. <laughs> okay. Now, I, I sent you a text a couple days ago when this game occurred, and I said, this has got to be a record. And you said, yes. that absolutely is. Edmonton Oilers, San Jose Sharks. Uh, it was a really weird game if you were watching it. Not one, not two, not three, but four goals overturned after video review. So... This, I suspect, is the kind of game that those haters of video review will point to and say, look, we're reviewing everything. We've got to go through this. It's making the game way too long. But we got all four calls right is the argument against. Now, I don't know what kind of trophy or award there is for this sort of game. And I don't know <laughs> a, if it's golden, anything that... A golden headset. <laughs> Maybe right. a golden iPad. <laughs> yes, that's right. A golden iPad. I like that. But we got the calls right. I didn't find the reviews to be incredibly lengthy or a big burden on the game. And I'm happy that all four calls were corrected. Yeah, it was interesting to see. And and of course, looking at the numbers, you get 13 goals scored in the game. Only nine of them count. So with the, <laughs> the four goals being overturned, we've seen four goals overturned via coach's challenge in a day before, but never in the same game. So it was uh, really crazy to see that much. Also interesting to see how accurate coaches challenges have become. The teams absolutely know when to challenge. Uh, Jay Woodcroft for the Oilers has gone nine of 11 this season, seven straight correct coaches challenges. So you have all those things that come together and we're really looking at it, Todd, with with such a fine tooth comb or, or a magnifying glass in these situations. I think all four had we not had coaches challenge as part of the game, I think all four goals, had they stood, may have been controversial, but it would be understandable because you have so many factors that that come into play. In this one, we had uh, two offside calls. Both of them were really close. The first one, you have maybe an opportunity that the linesman could have caught it there on the, the quick zone entry there. The San Jose player loses control of the puck as he's entering the zone. He precedes. So when exactly did he lose control and possession of the puck? It's a hard one in real time when you're looking at that part of it. He clearly entered the zone ahead of the puck. So that one gets caught via replay. The fourth goal, also another offside where you have the linesman potentially screened by the puck carrier to to not necessarily see the position of the skates, which again came down to millimeters. So I don't want to give either of these linesmen a hard time. Those were such close calls, ones we would have lived with in the past, ones that to, to those who hate the coach's challenge, these had no material impact on the play by being offside, but the challenge is there. We get the call right, and and we did. So 
even on the goaltender interference calls, I think you had situations where the players in the crease and depending on the official's positioning, uh, particularly on the, the, the second challenge, referee Jake Brinks further in the corner on the opposite side of the ice, he sees the player there, but you don't have that visibility to see what contact was being made. And I think this is why coaches' challenges exist. If we want to get them right, we did. And I, I, I think it worked out fine. Again, I don't think it was it was an incredibly lengthy review on any of them. And and I'm happy that we got the calls right. And you know what? It gives us something to talk about. So I'm <laughs> I'm always okay with that. Okay, more more to get into from this past week. Mikhail Sergachev of the Tampa Bay Lightning kind of dumps Josh Anderson into an empty net as he's looking to seal up the deal in a in a Montreal game. Anderson left the game, um, was not in Boston when they they played a couple of nights later and has now been reported done for the season with a high ankle sprain. There was no penalty called on the play, and that's a miss. I don't think by definition this was a slew foot. Um, I don't know. Was it a dangerous trip? It was absolutely a penalty, and I'm a little surprised that we didn't hear anything from the Department of Player Safety on this one. Yeah, definitely a dangerous one. It certainly, when it results in injury, it puts a little more scrutiny on what happened on this play. Now, at the time, didn't realize the severity of Anderson's injury to see him gone for the season, but... I'll start from the beginning, Todd. The first thing that I heard from folks on this is why wasn't it an awarded goal? And Anderson doesn't have possession or control of the puck at that moment. It's a battle. The two guys are going for the puck. Sergachev takes him down and obviously an injury results, but it didn't meet the criteria for a penalty shot, which is typically what we go by when we're looking at an awarded goal there. So didn't meet that standard. So we're not looking at, at giving the Habs a goal on the play, but absolutely should have been a penalty. And yeah, I could go with a dangerous trip based on Sergachev's skate. I could also look at a hold as it looked like he grabbed Anderson's arm to pull him down. I know we have the skate piece and the upper body piece, which we see with a slew foot. But I think during this battle, I would look at it more as a, a hold on the play as the penalty that should have been handed out. Now, doesn't really change the injury, doesn't really change the outcome of the game, but absolutely deserving of a penalty. And to me, Sergachev's taking this action as the two players are headed towards the net. You are putting an opponent in a dangerous spot. You know, we look at rules like boarding where where a hit takes place in proximity to the boards or that pushes a player dangerously into the boards. And I think the same kind of idea applies when you've got the nets here with the posts not coming off as easily as they should sometimes or causing injury that this was really a dangerous situation that Sergachev created. So I wouldn't have been against a fine just given how dangerous this was. I don't know if it rises to a one game suspension, but clearly a penalty on the play. Yeah, I would agree. You bring up a good point, though, about putting an opponent in a dangerous situation. So a couple more in that same regard. The next one actually involving Tampa once again and the Ottawa Senators. And this one, I guess you may be call it a dangerous trip again, but it's Victor Hedman this time who takes the feet out from Senators defenseman Jacob Chikorin. Hedman's kind of skating out to the blue line and it looks to me like it's accidentally on purpose knocks the feed out from under Chikrin, sends scored a power play goal on the on the play, but should have gone right back on the power play here. Yeah, I agree. I think, again, this is one of those situations where you have to look at the specifics of the play. And was this a slew foot? Probably not. Uh, was it a dangerous trip? Was it maybe interference? Not sure, but the, the trip, absolutely. He kicks the skates out. And had we seen this in a different situation, if you look at if Chikrin was carrying the puck and we saw this, I, I think it's a penalty all day. So I was surprised that they didn't call it. You hope this was one of those situations, and I'm not not hoping that we miss calls here, but you hope it was one where the officials were watching where the puck went 
and weren't necessarily as focused in on that body contact there between the two players because I'd hate to think that they intentionally didn't call this one because a goal was scored on the play. I didn't see either arm go up right away, so I have to assume that they just outright missed it. But given that contact, uh, it is a dangerous trip and it deserved a minor penalty. So you're right, Todd, they, they should have scored on the play and gone right back up with another advantage. Okay, so another one, again, you have to consider the player who is committing the action as well as the recipient in the Leafs and Islanders game. It's Noel Achari who puts a big hit on Brock Nelson. And this one's a bit of a challenge. Nelson's up against the boards. He's kind of pivoting and trying to turn back in the opposite direction. And Achari sees him up against the boards and goes to put a hit on him, but sends him face first into the glass. There was no call on the play, but there very well could have and perhaps should have been. Yeah, I I think this is clearly another dangerous play where you've got a guy hit from behind into the boards, hits his head on the glass and appears to be injured on the play. So the only justification I can have is whether the officials, the referees that night, Justin St. Pierre and Francis Chiron, if they felt that Nelson created the situation by shifting his body position at the last moment just prior to hit and put himself in a more dangerous spot, you know, was Achari always hitting through the numbers or had Nelson not turned back? Would this have been a legal body check? He was eligible to be checked on the play. He was in a spot where you brace because you expect the hit coming. But when Nelson turns back the other way, he's putting those numbers right out there. He's facing the boards and it's creating a really dangerous spot for him. I will say it's not absolving Achari of all responsibility here, as player safety loves to remind us. The onus is on the player delivering the hit to provide a legal body check on the play. And by nature of how he was positioned, it wasn't. Achari didn't minimize contact. He really just hit him as if he would have normally. So a scary play, one that was dangerous and certainly a spot Nelson doesn't want to be in. But it's it's hard to fault him entirely. I think in this one, Achari was lucky not to have been called for that. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. Okay, let's get to a game that turned a little bit nasty, especially in the in the early going. And I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on this one. Montreal and Boston. This one, this is an easy one, I think. Lining up for a face-off, Mike Hoffman, A.J. Greer are kind of eyeing each other up. Hoffman gives him a little tap, and then Greer gives Hoffman a cross-check to the face, throat, or wherever you want to call it, and he goes down, leaves the ice for some attention. Greer gets called for a major, it's reviewed, it's upheld, he's tossed from the game, and this this was so easy. I don't know that the review lasted more than five seconds. <laughs> no, nor did it need to. Now, I know the officials have an obligation to take a second look at major penalties just to confirm the call, so don't blame them for taking advantage of the review process, but this was about as straightforward as you can get, and you know, you're taking some swats back and forth before the face-off. It's no big deal, fine. Nothing that rose to need a penalty there, but... <laughs> When, when Greer steps things up and just cross-checks him in the face, I mean, I'm, I'm glad it was called the way it was. I'm glad it was dealt with that way because the puck's not dropped. There's no, no play here. This is really just a, a physical one-on-one intimidation or intent to injure type situation. So I was actually relieved to see that they did confirm the major penalty because this is the kind of stuff you don't want to let guys get away with. I mean, it might not have been a, a serious injury, but... Man, two guys standing still and and just a a straight cross check to the face. I'll take a major penalty on that every time. And a hearing with player safety is well-deserved. Yeah, I would agree. Okay, so earlier in the same period, Rem Pitlick of the Canadiens collides with Patrice Bergeron, who really doesn't see the hit coming, and he kind of gets flattened. As the Boston Bruins commentator said, Marchand decides to police this himself. So he circles back, grabs Pitlick, 
throws him to the ice, throws a couple of punches, and things eventually, of course, quiet down. Pitlick got two for interference, which I think is the right call. Marchand got a double minor for roughing. Now, I'm curious as to gloves coming off, punches being thrown, how is that not 2, 5, and 10? It is. It should be. (laughs) Okay, all right. I mean, absolutely. By the book, that is a fight. We've got fighting here, and by nature of how it took place, we can tack on the instigator penalty. Roughing is limited to gloved punches, and that's how the rulebook designates what roughing is. So once the gloves come off, it should be a fighting penalty every time. And again, we look at these situations that Marshawn was lucky that he didn't get called for it because that's what he should have. I'm not saying he shouldn't stick up for his teammate on the play, even if he determines that he thinks it was an illegal check. Fine. You you want to go in there and do it? You you can stand up for your guy, but you should be picking up the 2, 5, and 10. And, and Marshawn should have on this play, so he he got away with one. He dodged it there, but this is where we look at the consistency of just you know level setting. And that's something that the NHL does that I think folks forget. After each night, officiating managers are sharing clips with all of the officials and putting things out there to say, hey, here's some plays we saw. We want to touch on this, and, and here's some consistencies. And we don't have any inside information on what's going out there. But I think if I were in that role, sending out recent examples of where we've seen the Marshawn instigator in a fight, let's make sure we're on the same page with these guys. These are instigator type situations and should be penalized accordingly. So that type of level setting does happen within the officials. It's it's an ongoing thing. There's clips, there's emails, there's ongoing communication from leadership there in NHL hockey ops. So I, I think if if I were running it, this would be the type of thing I'd want to say, guys, we, we got to stay tight to this. Let's make sure we're all on the same page. But just a good reminder that that type of communication does take place and is ongoing for the officials. They're not officiating and making these calls entirely in a vacuum. There absolutely is accountability in terms of, hey, you get video clips, you get emails, you get information to make sure that everybody is is on the same page. A bit of a strange one in a Minnesota Philly game this past week. It got a little bit of attention because of a possible high stick. Uh, it was a goal that made it 4-3 for the Minnesota Wild. Puck was sent towards the net. And before Matt Boldy stuffed it in the net for his his second of the game, it was deflected by a teammate, and the stick looked like it might be above the crossbar. However, Dave Jackson, who was on the broadcast, of course, because they have an NHL referee as an analyst for ESPN, nobody else does, but they should, the puck did not go directly into the net on this one. And there's a difference as to the height of a high stick whether it goes directly in the net or whether it is shoveled in by a teammate, Josh. Yeah, absolutely. And it was nice of Jackson to break that down and, and remind folks of the distinction there, because if you're looking at a puck that goes directly in, the the threshold there is the crossbar. The stick cannot be above crossbar height. And it's not the stick in general. It's where the puck actually contacts the stick. So part of the stick could be above the crossbar. As long as the puck makes contact with the stick below the crossbar and it goes directly in, that's a legal goal. When we're looking at plays that are deflected pucks or or pucks where they're played with a high stick before going directly in the threshold there is the shoulders so you're looking at the player's shoulders to see what's shoulder height and yes it's a different height for each player because the players are different heights so that's what the nhl standard is for a high stick on a deflected puck that's one of those things that we can now challenge for as a missed stoppage where previously it wasn't one of the things that was under consideration so you had to live with the call on the ice but Yeah, it's two different standards. Sometimes makes things confusing because you could have a guy deflecting the puck and depending on what he's intending to do and where the puck ends up, you're measuring against two different heights to figure out if it was a legal play or or one that should be waved off. 
Should we make it consistent? Always be the crossbar? Boy, I, I mean, it might be easier to do that because you'd have the same standard, but it's going to make it so much harder to judge that four foot height from a player that's far from the net. You know, part of the the simplicity Good of it point. is most deflected pucks on goals happen right in front of the net. So you have that visual reference right there. But if you start doing it on pucks that were batted with a high stick, you don't have a marker that's four feet high that's away from the net. So it makes it really hard to judge. I, and I think it makes it hard for the players, too, of getting comfortable with where their stick height is. So it would be tough to enforce, especially without the benefit of puck tracking to know the exact height of the puck where it gets deflected. Oh, funny you should mention puck <laughs> tracking because one more time we find a question of whether or not a puck actually crossed the goal line. In the Maple Leafs and Panthers game, it first looked like a spectacular save by goaltender Matt Murray. However, referees TJ Luxmore and Gord Dwyer had a peek at the iPad once the play was stopped. And fortunately... They could see the puck through the webbing of the white glove, and it was across the goal line. The goal counted. It's something that we see from time to time, depending on the webbing, depending on the color of the equipment. It can be difficult to find the puck. And as you mentioned, if only there were a way to determine exactly where the puck was at any given moment. Yeah, we were fortunate that you could actually see the puck in there. We've seen plenty of situations where goaltenders have black gloves or black webbing in their glove or the gloves turn just slightly and you can't see the puck. And those types of situations have made it really hard to be consistent on making those calls. Now, it was clear that the puck was in in this case. We have had ones in the past where the puck has been over the line, but there's just not that ability to, to spot it in the goaltender's gloves. So that puck tracking will come in very handy for knowing when pucks cross the goal line. And we've said it before, but I think number one on my list, if I'm the NHL, let's get that puck tracking to the point where we can say the puck went in or not. It makes things so much easier. It takes some of the reviews and some of the delays right off the table. It even replaces the goal judges because we can just have the entire building goal horn or goal signal, whatever has to happen, go off automatically when that puck crosses the line. So I, to me, that's the benefit when we get to that point, when it gets focused and granular enough that we can confirm one way or the other that the puck did or didn't cross the line. And, and that technology is the one I'm looking forward to, just because it gets rid of situations like this. We don't have to wait for Toronto to sound the horn and, and us <laughs> go back and take a look. We can just know, hey, if it didn't go off, we keep playing. And if it did, well, then it's a goal. Well, and it will make the referee's job so much easier as well. You had a great piece on uh, socials and on the website. We have seen referees go behind the net to try to get into good position to get a view whether or not the, the puck has gone in. Sometimes we will see them leaning over the back of the net, sometimes kind of hopping up. KHL referee Konstantin Olenin went full Superman as he looked to try to find out if the puck was in the net. He jumped up and laid on top of the net during a playoff game for the Gagarin Cup between Akbar's Kazan and Admiral Vladivostok. What this says, Josh, is that go to the net. Go, go to the net to the is net. what you have to do. Retired NHL referee Paul Stewart has always said the money is at the net. It applies to players and it applies to officials. You need to be in the right place to make the best call. And there was no better place, no better view of whether or not the puck crossed the line in that game than, than what Olenin found on top of the net. And it makes me wonder that, you know, the referee is in play and sometimes the pucks bounce around and 
What if it had bounced off the referee's butt or something on top of the net? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked. The referees are in play, so that puck would be a live puck, but you cannot score directly off an official. So as long as they played the puck again after it deflected off of him, uh, you could have a potential goal on the play. You just can't score right off a ref. So unlike the NFL's butt fumble, we will never have a butt goal. Get in the box. It's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Scouting the Refs. Email the show at heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. Money! That's nicely done. That's good work.